Well, take your Bible, please, and turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. Um, We are endeavoring to do something a little bit different uh, in the next several weeks and probably months. Uh, And and what what we're going to do different is we're going to preach through 1 John. So every every message will be based, we're just going to go right through, little by little, and and I'll develop, with God's help, messages from 1 John. After we do 1 John, we're going to do 2 John. And after we do 2 John, we're going to do 3 John. That's the plan. Uh, There will be some Sundays when we we may have a guest speaker or whatever, but that's the plan. And uh, so this first message is 1 John chapter 1. And um, I've entitled the message, The Joy of Believing, based on verse number 4. So we're going to look at verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. So let me read it, and then we'll pray. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon... And our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. Dear Father, Lord God, thank you for your word today. And thank you, Lord, for the plan that you dropped in my heart. I pray that uh, that we can do that for your glory. But Lord, bless this sermon today. Speak to us through your word. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here to do what you want to do. Lord, I pray that uh, this message I'll be able to communicate the way you want. And that you will be glorified and you will be... You'll be happy with the proclamation of your word today. Lord, that's, that's my goal. That, that's our goal. You will be pleased with your people sitting under the preaching of your word today. And Lord, in that process, we pray that the church, those that hear, whether in the sanctuary or at home or later in the week through the, uh, through the, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, video of it, Lord, let hearts be challenged Let hearts be built up because of your word. Let hearts be changed because of the presence of your spirit coming through this word today. So I thank you and I praise you and look forward to what you're going to do. In Jesus' precious holy name we pray. Amen and amen. So the main part of this is verse number four. When John writes, these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And that, that verse has been jumping out at me for a while now. And I wonder, I sit back and I wonder, I wonder if you have wondered, why the uh, rampant lack of joy in the world today? Money won't purchase it. You know, prestige won't, won't, won't get it. Doing things and going places won't give us that joy that we look for. I tell people all the time when they tell me they have to get away and go somewhere to get something. And I say, the problem with that is when you get there, guess what? You're going to be there. And if it's not right in your head, you're going to take it with you no matter where you go. It's it's going to come from your heart. And so the feelings of joy and peace and feelings of self-worth seem to be waning these days. Maybe I've been watching too much news. I don't know. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of a lot of stuff going on, which is not good. I see violence increasing, rebellion against authority increasing. You all heard about the episode yesterday down in Wakefield, the group, uh, the rise of the, Moor, rise of the Moors. Their slogan is, we don't follow your laws. I'm thinking, how does that work? In, in any country, we don't follow the law. Well, how does that, that doesn't, how, that's like contrary to logic. But um, there seems to be a general unsettledness in the hearts and minds of people throughout the world. And, and all the vices are increasing. Things aren't really getting better as far as drug use and alcohol use, pornography, crime, uh, runaways, homelessness. Mental health issues, suicide issues, domestic violence. Prisons are still overcrowded. 
The court systems are still jam-packed. Probation and parole is still a big thing, and many, many people are involved in it. And sociologists and psychologists and clergy would would probably say things like, well, the the bottom line is that there's a deep-seated family problem. There's like issues in families so that, uh, you know, in family settings, there's there's dysfunction and there's abuse, either emotional or physical or spiritual. And bad decisions are made and bad judgments are made. And there's rebellion against authority just because people can rebel. And there's rebellion against church as well. And I realize all of this is basically the result of the sin issue, the fallen nature issue. It says in Romans 3, verse 23, which you all should know, but Romans 3, 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But when we look, we'll look back in chapter 3 of, of Romans and look at verses 9 through 18, we hear some really disturbing news. It says that Jews and Greeks are all under sin. And then, then uh, Paul goes on to quote several different passages from the Psalms, but things like, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's no one who seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together, all have become unprofitable. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open tomb. That's a heavy phrase. Out of their mouth comes death. They kill people with their words, and their tongues have practiced deceit, and the, the uh, poison of asps is under their lips, etc., etc. This is what I would call bad news. Aren't you glad you came to church to hear a little bit of bad news? Because you, you can't get the good news till you know the bad news. And the good news is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But in verse 24, it says, But you're being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's a great word right there. We got the bad news, but we got the good news. We got good news. But you have in our culture, you know, think about this with me. You have imperfect parents trying to raise imperfect kids. It's a recipe for a problem. You have an imperfect society trying to regulate and provide for imperfect citizens. You have an imperfect government trying to fix imperfect communities. And it's basically the blind leading the blind without Jesus involved. But in spite of all of that, in the midst of all of that, John writes in 1 John 1.4, These things I've written to you that your joy might be full. Can I suggest that we have a solution to all that I just said? The solution is tied in to Jesus Christ. I'm writing these things that that your joy might be full. I'll tell you what, I want some of that. I've had enough of the other. I want some of the joy that comes along with being a Christian. So in the midst of our culture, in the midst of our lifestyle, in the midst of our challenges, which are great The Lord promises us to have joy. But we need to define joy. Joy in this means a gladness of heart, a a contentment, a sense of well-being in spite of what's going on all around us. The absence of joy you probably are familiar with. I'm very familiar with the absence of joy, if I would be honest with you. I've been down that road. I don't like that road. Sometimes I go there unintentionally and end up there, and I'm saying, how did I get here? i got to back up and retract my steps and get back in where I need to be. But the absence of joy is misery and gloom, woe and sorrow and depression and hopelessness and despair and worry and the doldrums and discouragement. But I wonder, what do you see more of today? Do you see more of joy or more of the absence of joy? I think objectively, I I see a lot of the absence of joy. But joy is mentioned a lot in the Bible. Matthew 28, I'm just going to give you a couple examples. Matthew 28 is the story of the resurrection. And the ladies came to the tomb. And they saw that the tomb was empty. 
And it says, one verse in that little passage says, they left there with fear and great joy. And it always struck me that they had two emotions going on at the same time. They were afraid because where was Jesus? But they had great joy and excitement. That, like They were giddy, like, oh, wow. And so it tells me that joy does not preclude other emotions. We can have things going on and still maintain joy. That's what he's saying here. When I read in Acts chapter 8, I, the story of the revival in Philippi. I love the, uh, uh, so, the revival in, uh, in Samaria, sorry. And, and there's great, great salvations, great deliverances, healings. Philip is preaching and people are getting saved and hallelujah. It says there was great joy in that city. There was. People were turning to Jesus. But at the same time, that church was established in the midst of persecution. They were probably looking over their shoulders saying, I wonder who's going to come after us next. So in spite of that, they had great joy because Jesus was bigger than the problems. In Philippians chapter 1, we read Paul, Paul writing to the Philippians. He says, when I remember you and when I pray for you, I do it with all joy in my heart. He, wasn't, he was away from them. He was separated from them, but he remembers them with great joy and great, great excitement. And so this thing of joy, let me, let me say it this way. Joy is not the goal of Christianity. It's not the goal. The goal of Christianity is being forgiven of our sins and making it to glory. Hallelujah. But, so joy is not the goal, but it's the byproduct of Christianity. It comes with the territory, if you could think of it in that way. John is saying, I'm writing all this to you so that you might have, or so that your joy might be full. You know, there's several scriptures in, in the New Testament. For instance, you all know this, right? James says, consider it all joy when you go through various trials. Oh, my goodness. So now, now you're telling me I can have trials and still have joy. Ah, ah, I, I like that, actually, because I have a lot of trials in my life, but I have a lot of joy with me, too. Peter said, be joyful and rejoice when you partake of Christ's sufferings. Joy, suffering? Wow. This Christianity is pretty powerful, if it could do that. In Hebrews, it speaks of Jesus. It says, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus, looking for the joy, looking beyond the cross, beyond the shame, he endured it all, keeping his eye on, on, on the victory and, the, and, the, and the, the place of the throne where he was going to go. For the joy set before him, he endured all of that. It tells me something about our nature, the way God made us. He made us with the capacity to live through this life with all of the complications. And there are many complications. I'll be the first one to say. Many emotions, many conflicting things in our mind and spirit. But in spite of all of that, when we belong to Christ, we have an undercurrent of joy that supports us and sees us through. And that's, that's what this message is about today. So John writes, verse 4, We are writing these things to you so that your joy might be full. Your, your gladness of heart, your contentment, your sense of well-being. Now remember, this is probably written around 90 AD, or 95 AD, when their comrades were getting killed and thrown to the lions. So John's writing to them, say, look, your joy can be full in spite of the circumstances that you're involved with. It's not the goal, but it is the result of your faith. So let's talk about this a little bit. John, first John. John, the, the author, is the Apostle John. Not John the Baptist. He's the Apostle John. He's the brother of James. He's one of the sons of thunder. Because James and John were loud sometimes. Can anyone relate? Like they wanted to burn down the city. Jesus said, no, we don't know what you're doing. But they were like that. They were like... Rrr. So they're, they're sons of thunder. John is the one, it says, whom Jesus loved. John is the one who put his head on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper. Uh, John, with the others, uh, saw the arrest of Jesus. They, they followed him from a distance. They, they witnessed the crucifixion. 
Uh, John was the one that Jesus called upon to take care of his mother Mary. John saw and uh, experienced the empty tomb. Remember Peter and John ran running to the tomb. And, and John got there first, but Peter ran in. He saw the resurrected Lord. He saw him. He, he spoke with him. He had breakfast with him. He saw him ascend into glory. He was waiting in the upper room for the Holy Spirit. He received the Holy Spirit with the others. Spoke in tongues and was empowered. He heard Peter's first sermon. He witnessed the 3,000 people getting saved and baptized. He was a great leader, a great pillar in the church. This is the John we're talking about. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He wrote the book of Revelation. Tradition says that John lived to a, a ripe old age in his 90s. Tradition says he was, uh, he, he, people tried to kill him but couldn't kill him. And he lived a long time. And he either died being isolated at Patmos or back in Ephesus where some people think he lived his last days. But anyway, John is writing to the church. And we know that from various things that he's saying, which I'll show you in a second. But it doesn't actually say it like in Paul's writings. Paul will say to the church in Rome. You know, he's very specific. But, but these epistles don't have that. But it's just generally understood that he's writing to the general churches throughout the Roman Empire. So in verse number four, he's writing to the Christians that your joy would be full. And so in, 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 when you get into that, now that we're Christians, he's writing to us. I really like that. I like verse number nine. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I like that verse, don't you? That's for us. That's for the church. I like chapter 2, which says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. I like that verse. That's to the church, right? But, but really, if you go over to chapter 2, in verse number 18, he gives the real reason why he's writing this letter. He says, my little children, that's a phrase he uses to say, you know, uh, my, my, my people, my people who maybe I've led to Christ or I'm teaching, they're younger Christians. But my children, my little children, it's the last hour, he says, verse 18. You've heard it said that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have already come. And that by this we know it's the last hour. And he says in verse number 19, they, they, these Antichrists came out from us. They were part of the church, and they left the church, and now they're going out, and they're called Antichrist. They're spreading false doctrine. He says in verse number 20, he says, I know you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. I know that you know all things. I, I, I'm, I'm writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know the truth, and I want to keep you in the truth. Specifically, he's talking about the Gnostics. The Gnostics were a group of people that uh, denied the deity of Jesus. They believed in, in knowledge only. And this resulted in a lot of a lack of ethics and unholiness and, and immorality in the church. And so John is writing so that the church will be protected and pure and right in the midst of all that's going on. It sounds like it could be written today to me. Because there's a lot of teachings in the church that aren't right you, you hear a lot of things on Christian TV and different things. They're not right. And someone's got to say, wait, let's pull it back in and get back to basics here. So he starts out, and we're going to go through verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. In verse number 1, he says, now, what a way to start a letter, first of all. No dear so-and-so. It's, this is how he starts. That which was from the beginning, which our eyes have, what are you talking about? Like, there's no hello, how are you, you know? That which is from the beginning. But on the other hand, he's writing to Christian people. So when they get a letter from John, I mean John. Oh, that John? They're sitting down paying attention. They don't need any fluff. They want to get right to the point. And so he says, that which is from the beginning. And so verse 1 and verse 4 are absolutely related. If we want joy... We've got to get back to that which was from the beginning, whatever that means, which we'll find out. 
you know, John also wrote the Gospel of John. So in John, in John chapter 1, not to be confused with 1 John 1, but he says similar things. In John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And in John 1.14, he says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, filled with grace and truth. So verse number 1, that which is from the beginning, pertains to the eternal God, Jesus in the flesh. Deity is crucial here. Remember when Jesus was born, the angel said, His name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. There's a whole movement in Christendom that, that doesn't focus on the deity of Christ. Can I tell you, the deity of Christ is essential in our belief system. Uh, you know, some people say Jesus was a great teacher, a great prophet, and this and that. Yeah, he was all that. But he was God in the flesh, too. This is the mystery of our faith. God came in the flesh. And so in verse number 2, it says, this life was manifested. So we'll get into that in a minute. But he says in verse number 1, that which is from the beginning, the end of verse 1, the word of life, that which is from the beginning, that which happened in the very beginning, he says, we have heard. Do you realize what a strong witness John is right here? That which is from the beginning. He wasn't there in the beginning. But that which is from the beginning. He's talking about Jesus. We've heard Jesus. What a credential. Oh my goodness. He heard Jesus speak. Literally. Spiritually. He heard the sermons. He heard the parables. He heard the sermon on the mount. He heard the story of the prodigal son. He was in the audience. Can you believe that? John was sitting there listening there was a father that had two sons. And I can picture John just listening to Jesus and getting the meaning of that story. Hear the story of the ten virgins. Hear Jesus say, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll build it back again, not knowing what it meant, but he heard it. He heard the Son of Man say, he heard Jesus say, the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem. He must go to give his life as a ransom. John heard Jesus say what John records in John 3.16. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John heard him say that. And so he wrote it down. He heard the father say to Jesus when Jesus was getting baptized, Well, uh, my beloved son, to my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So what John is saying is that which is from the beginning, we've heard him. You would do, if you want number, verse number four, you would do well to listen to what we're saying. We heard this one that was from the beginning. And it goes on to say, that which was from the beginning, we have seen with our eyes. We not only heard him, we saw him. We saw his miracles. We saw his healings. We saw the demons fleeing from people. We saw Jesus' lifestyle, his mannerisms, his prayer life. We saw his heart for the lost, for the sick, for the downtrodden. We saw Jesus get arrested. We saw Jesus in the garden that night. He was sweating like blood, drops of blood were coming out. We saw him go off to the trial. We saw him go to Calvary. We saw his dead body. We saw with our eyes his dead body coming off the cross and put into the tomb. Oh, we saw the resurrected Christ. We saw him. We saw him ascend into heaven. We saw the Holy Spirit fall on the day of Pentecost. So he heard that which is from the beginning. And he saw that which, which is from the beginning. And then it says in verse number one, which we have looked upon. So he didn't just see with a casual glance. He looked upon this Jesus. He studied him. He perceived him. He understood him. He took him in. Not just a casual glance. He observed and, and, and took in all that Jesus was. And we, what John is saying, we know what we're talking about. We heard him, we saw him, we gazed upon him, we spent time with him. Peter says the same thing in one of his epistles. He says, you know, we were with him at the transformation. We saw his face change and we saw that whole, whole thing. But these are eyewitnesses of the account. So he's saying, believe us, believe me. You know, uh, we heard him, we, we've, we've seen him, we, we looked upon him. And then in verse number one he says, we have... We have, our hands have handled him. I had to think about that. 
So I think in the culture, as the men would embrace, you know, they'd maybe give each other a kiss and hug each other and give a pat on the back. I think they had that going on. But in Luke 24, 39, Jesus says something really important. He was resurrected, and he knew that some of the people didn't believe it was him. And remember, John is is saying this here, that we handled him in the back of his mind. The Gnostics don't believe in the physical Christ. They only believe in the spiritual Christ. So he's saying, no, we handled him. And Jesus said, before he ascended, Jesus said, come over here and handle me. Touch me. Touch my hands and my feet. See that I'm real. Eat breakfast with me. And so John is saying the Gnostics are off base. Jesus was physical and spiritual both. He was God in the flesh. And so, um, so uh, anyway, so he, he dispels the false teaching. And the disciples handled him, ate with him. Judas had kissed him before. Thomas put his hand in his, the nail, where the nails were, and his feet and hands where the spear went in. And so John saying, look, this one from the beginning, this one who is the word of life, we've heard him. We've seen him. We've looked upon him. We've even handled him. And he's, his credentials are extraordinary. All this pertaining to, end of verse 1, concerning the word of life, the word of life. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John 11.25, the story of Lazarus. When Lazarus died and Jesus is speaking to Martha and Mary, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Though someone may die, they believe in me, they'll live forever. I am the resurrection and the life. Colossians 1.16. All things that were made were created through Jesus. The pre-existent Christ. The one who always was and always will be. The deity of Jesus. He was there in creation. Jesus was there in creation. All things were created through Christ. And all things were created for Christ. And you know what? We're never going to have joy until we get that straightened out in our lives. We are created for him. We will never have verse number four if we're trying to do it our own way. We're created by him or through him. And we're created for him. And in him, all things consist. So John is giving a great witness that that he knows without a doubt what he's talking about. And no wonder why John and the others totally died for their faith. Many brutally murdered for them. They weren't about to recount because they knew it was true. You know, if it wasn't true, why would they die for it? So verse number one is very important. Then verse number two, this life was manifested. It it came in the flesh. It was manifested. And uh, this is the word of life. And we, we have seen it, and we bear witness, and we declare to you that, that eternal life which was with the Father, which was also manifested to us. This manifestation of Christ is crucial to our faith. Paul wrote about it in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, so he's using a doctrinal position that Jesus emptied himself, left glory, left heaven, came to earth, took on the form of a bondservant, humbled himself, obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. But let that mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So let your attitude be like the way Jesus was. But how was Jesus? He emptied himself and came to earth. That's what he's referring to in verse number two. We declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. And then verse number three, he goes on. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, so that we may have fellowship, you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So that which we've seen and heard and declared to you, we're doing it so that you can have fellowship with us and we can have fellowship with the Father. We declare him to you. It's all true. It's all real. We're eyewitnesses of it. The deity of Christ is real. The story of Bethlehem is real. The story of the prophets is real. What Moses said and David and Isaiah and Daniel and Jeremiah and Hosea and Micah, it's all true when they talked about the coming of the Messiah. The shepherds and the magi, it's all true. King Herod, it's all true. Going to Egypt, it's all true. 
what, the role of John the Baptist. Everything is true. And we're telling you all these things so that you can have fellowship with us. And ultimately, we can have fellowship with Almighty God, the Father and the Son. And in that setting, guess what? Verse number four happens. That's when we have our joy. You ever notice when we have fellowship with one another? It's all good, and and we're worshiping God, and we're praying God, and somewhere along the line, like in worship this morning, somewhere along the line, we sense the joy of the Holy Spirit. We sense the joy of the Lord, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. Why is that happening? Because we're in fellowship with people of like faith, and we're in fellowship with our Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And until we get to that point, we will never have the joy that He's talking about. So, I've entitled the message, The the Joy of Believing. And uh, I'm just going to give you a quick synopsis of this, because this is where I had to wind it down at the early service. So I'll give you the headings, and then next week, Lord willing, we'll get back into this. But if you you are questioning, if you may be saying, well, you know what, you don't know what's going on in my life. I can't have joy. My life is a disaster. Uh, No, I may not know what's going on in your life, but God knows. But I know that verse number four still applies to you. These things are written down so that our joy would be filled. That doesn't mean other things aren't going to exist. It, It means that in spite of those things, we have a joy and a peace that God is with us. So just, just real quickly, I'm going to make this really short because it's getting late. But the first thing is that we have to understand this joy is absolutely 100% available. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, what you've been through, what you're going through right now. The, the Bible never talks about our, our circumstances preventing us from sensing God in our lives. In fact, the opposite is true, come to think of it. Our trials bring us to God. They should. And so we have to understand, in your situation, whatever you're dealing with, joy is available for you. It's available for you. You, No one is different. We're all the same. You may think, you don't know how I grew up. I don't know how you grew up. But that doesn't matter. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said about, all right, whatever. But the joy of the Lord is your strength if you let it. It's available for you. So going back, verses 1, 2, and 3, that which is from the beginning is where we start. We start at the beginning. You want joy? Get back to Jesus. You you want joy? Get back to Jesus. Sometimes the problem is bigger than Jesus. And let's reverse that. Let's make Jesus huge and the problem little. So the the joy of the Lord is available, absolutely available for us. And next week I'll preach more about that. Second one is this. There's no other means to get the joy. You can't go anywhere. You can't get it from somebody. There's there's no other way to get the joy. It's only through your relationship with Jesus Christ. And in the meantime, as we're trying to work this out, our Father waits for us. I love the the story of Luke 15, the prodigal son. I, I refer to it often, but it's kind of like impressed on my heart that when that boy went away, you know, he did his thing. But it says, it says in Luke 15, when the son was still a long way off, the father saw him. That speaks volumes to me. He was a long way off. And what was the father doing looking for him? Well, he was waiting for him to come back. Hoping one day, maybe today, maybe today I'll see my son on the horizon come home. And one day, as the son was far, far away, the father saw him. Way, way, way. And he was waiting for this day, and he had compassion on his son. He ran to him, he hugged him, he kissed him, and had a big party. So while we're doing our thing, and we're getting all messed up and confused, the father is waiting for us to come back. And when we come back, guess what? He doesn't have a paddle in his back pocket. He wants to, he wants us. He wants us. He's not going to punish us. He wants to love us back to good health. So those three things, the joy is available. There's no other way to get it except through Jesus. In the meantime, the Father awaits, he waits for us to make those decisions. 
So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right there and save, save the meat of that part for next week. So can we all stand together? Can we stand? And uh, every head bowed for just a moment. I have to tell you this morning, there was a young man here for the first time. And if there was nobody else in the room, he was in the room and he was hanging on every word. And when the altar call was given, man, his hand shot up and we, we talked afterwards. He gave his heart to Jesus. He's probably in, his, probably in his 30s. I'm just saying, this kind of a message, I think, is so important. I mean, I don't know. We, we would never do this, but if we could write down all of our woes, man, we'd have a book this thick. Come on, all of us. We all have it. We all have issues. We all... Pastor Bill, you know, we're in the ministry. We know these things. <laughs> Plus, we have our own problems. But, you know, but, but the joy of the Lord is our strength. Those problems are not going to go away. Let's just we'll deal with the problems. Let's get, let's get this right with God. God is our strength. God is our source. God is our foundation. And right now, you know, there may be somebody here that you got off your foundation. You may know the foundation, but you're not on the foundation. You know where the foundation is, but you're not on it. You, 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 you kind of took your own path, and you're trying to figure it out on your own. I'll tell you right now, I'll save you a lot of trouble. It's not going to work. It's not going to work doing it that way. You know, get back on to the foundation. He is our, he's not called the rock for nothing. He's our rock. He's our place of security. He's our place of stability. He's our place of He's our place of joy. How can you have joy when all these things are going on? Why? Because God is bigger than all that. That's why. Every head bowed. These things we've I've written to you that your joy would be full. Written to the church. So to the church, I would say, is your joy full today? Is your joy full or, or, or is your spirit cloudy? Is it muddled up with worry and stress and anxiety? It's, over, it's overtaken you. You don't have joy. But you need joy. I, I need joy. No, you won't get it from a pill or a drug or a trip somewhere. You're going to get it in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So, first question is this. Is there anyone here that, like most of us, you've tried to find joy? You've tried the club scene. You tried the dating scene. You tried the education scene. You tried whatever. You tried this and that. And there's always this void in your heart. You can't seem to get it filled up. Is there anyone that wants to give God a chance to give you his joy in the midst of everything? Anyone come to a place in your life where you realize my own efforts aren't doing it. I need something different. Anyone ready to give God a chance? Raise your hand if that's you. Yes? Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, thank you back there. Anybody else? Yes, thank you. All right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, you know, the Lord's throwing out a lifeline right now. He's throwing out a... A, a life jacket on the end of a rope. He's throwing it, and you're, in, you're, in, you're kind of floundering in the water. He's throwing out a lifeline for you to grab onto. Grab hold of that. Let him reel you in. Anybody else? I just want to give Jesus a chance. I want to give him a chance. Oh, the Father waits. He's looking, he's looking, he's looking on the horizon. He's looking for someone's walk, someone's gait, someone's hand, someone's look, someone's eye. He's looking for just a chance. The Father's looking for a chance. Anybody at home, if, if you're at home today and you feel the Spirit of God right now and you're, 
write down in the comments, I want God in my life. Write it down. We'll get a hold of you later. I want God in my life. I want to give God a chance. I've been to the clubs. I've done the dating scene. I've done the, the online date thing. I've, done, I've looked for people. I don't know. I can't find joy. I'm, I'm smart. I have a degree. I'm this and that. I, but I don't have joy. God is the source. That which is from the beginning. The one that John heard and saw and looked upon. The one that John handled. This is the one we're talking about. This is the one we're talking about. For the benefit of those that raise your hand, I'm going to lead out in a prayer, but we're not done yet. Dear Father, Lord, we all come before you right now in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we know I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm fallen. I'm weary. I'm tired. I'm discouraged. And Lord, I've even turned to you before, but things didn't work out. But Lord, today I'm coming back to you. I'm coming to you, Lord. You're the source. Uh, As John said, that which is from the beginning. I'm going to the very beginning. I'm going to the creator. I'm going to the source of life, the word of life. Jesus. Jesus. Lord, no wonder why people fell down in the garden that night when they heard your name. They fell down under the presence of God when they said, Jesus. Lord, we just come before you and we humble ourselves and say, Lord God, we know we're sinners. We know we're fallen, but we look to you right now and we receive you right now. We ask you to come into our lives and forgive us of our sins, which are many. Namely, the sin of pride and arrogance that tells us we could do this without you. We can't. Forgive us for that pride and arrogance, Lord, that, that, that says we don't need God. Oh, Lord God, we do need you. Absolutely, we need you. Forgive us when we think that we don't need you. So help us, Lord. Come into our lives, Lord, and establish your kingdom deep in our heart. Lord, we're not saying erase every conflict we have. We're just saying give us peace and joy in knowing you. We'll deal with that with your help. We'll deal with all those things. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Fill us, Lord. Save us, Lord. In the name of Jesus. My second thing is this. There, there may be some people in the church, maybe at home, that you're, you question doctrine. You don't really know who Jesus is. He's a great person or a great teacher. And your life is suffering because of that. You're not, you're not happy. You're not fulfilled because you're questioning all the time. What, what, what is God doing for me? I don't know God. So we need to settle who Jesus is. Jesus is God. <laughs> oh, that felt good to say that right there. Jesus is God. He's God. God in the flesh. The mystery of, you know, Emmanuel. The mystery. But then again, only God could save us. Only the perfect sacrifice is sufficient. So there may be some here or some at home. Let's settle it right now. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. So, Father, Lord, right now, Lord, we proclaim you are God. Jesus, you are God. And we stand on your word. That which is from the beginning, which the one that John heard and saw and looked upon and handled, that one, the one that was there in creation, is Jesus, the word of life. Lord, we we just want to establish that in our mind, our heart, and in our spirit, that Jesus, you are God. Hallelujah. And we rejoice in knowing you. Amen. Okay, the third question is is, is the the third statement is this. That verse number four says, John, I'm writing these things that your joy might be full. And in reality... Nobody knows we have joy because we're preoccupied with our worry. And in doing so, I mean, I'm not taking that away if if that's where you're at, but we're kind of negating what God is doing in our heart and spirit. 
So we need to have faith to step out in faith, to put our best foot forward, to put our best face on, and to trust God and let people know we're trusting God. In the midst of my problems, I'm trusting God. Oh, yeah, I got this problem, but I believe God is going to help me. Yeah, yeah, I know about that in my life. Yeah, I know that. I know all that about this and that. I know all that. But God is bigger than my problem. I wonder if some here, some at home, that right now it's time to decide, I'm going to make God bigger than my problem. Well, God is bigger than my problem. I'm going I'm I'm to visualize that in my mind and spirit, that God is greater than my problem. There's, there's a scripture that says God is greater than my heart. I think John wrote that, as a matter of fact. God is greater than my heart. He's bigger than all of it. So I want to pray that we'll keep things in perspective. What I'm saying is, let faith arise. Let faith rise. What are you going to look at? (laughs) Faith has to rise up. So Father, Lord... Lord, we know we represent you. Oh, we've told people, you know, we say things at work or with our family. People know we're Christians. And yet sometimes they see us in not a very favorable light. So, Lord, forgive us for that. But help us to be stronger. Help us, Lord, to have faith. Not just to talk about it, but to actually have it. To demonstrate faith. The assurance of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for. Let us let us live like that. We know w- without faith, it's impossible to please you. The just shall live by faith. So, Lord, let us be, let us do better. Help us to do better. Uh, help us to be better representatives of you, Lord. Even though we may be afraid of something. We may be worried about our money or our job or our family or our kids or our grandkids or our health crisis. But underneath it all, we have a confidence that whatever comes our way, God is going to sustain me. Lord, let faith arise. Let God arise in our hearts, oh God. So Lord, forgive us when we don't represent you well. Let us truly be light and salt to the world around us, beginning at home, beginning at work, beginning at the market. Beginning locally, let us let people see Christ in us, oh God. So Lord, thank you for this. And uh, we give you praise, oh God. We give you praise, oh God. Before I say the final prayer, is there anyone here that, well, I'm going to be brave. Does anyone need to say anything? Good. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. For those at home, uh, one of our ladies had a dream last night. The Lord spoke to her in the dream saying to share with the church uh, that we want the spirit to move, but we've got to be praying for that to happen. We've got to be a praying people for that to happen. Right? Is that, that's uh, basically what she said. All right. Very good. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to say a prayer now. Uh, remember, there is a prayer meeting tomorrow night at 6.30, every Monday night at 6.30 if you need to pray. We'll be with you Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at the live stream in the, yeah, the live stream, the Zoom meeting on Wednesday afternoon. Dear Father, Lord God, thank you for this day. Lord, this 4th of July. Lord, I know people are celebrating their freedom as a country, but Lord, we're celebrating our freedom in Christ. And we rejoice that we're free in you. Lord, thank you for that dream. Your word says that, that uh, in the last days, uh, dreams, our ladies and men will have dreams and visions, and we, we had one. 
And so, Lord, we want to we hear that. We want your spirit to move among us, but we want to be a people of prayer. Let prayer be our lifeline to your heart, Lord. And Lord God, as we leave this place today, let us have a good day. Let us rejoice in the, on the 4th of July weekend. Keep us safe on the road if we travel. But Lord, let us, let us also just have a confidence that these things are written in the word of God, that our joy would be full and complete. Our joy, our, our contentment is only going to be found in our relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to, to read that and live that in our day-to-day experience. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone here, everyone at home, to have a good day and a good week. I pray, Lord, that soon we'll hear reports. We'll hear testimonies of people that have stepped out in faith and done things they wouldn't normally do, but, but they realize they're, they're connected to that which was from before, that which, was, which is eternal. They're connected to the eternal God. And because of that, life is different. Perception is different. So, Lord, bless this congregation here, those at home. Let us have a great week, and we give you all thanks and all praise. And, Lord, may God bless America still. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, amen. Happy Fourth of July. If anyone needs altar time, the altars are going to be open for a bit. I'll be happy to pray with you. Uh, remember the missions jar over there. Oh, if you're with us for the first time, please see Juanita or Pastor Bill. And they'll give you some information to fill out a visitor card. All right. God bless you. Happy Fourth of July.